0: So in the previous episode covered uh, steady state, that's the uh, joint or multinational operation or interagency activity to dissuade or deter potential adversaries and to assure and uh, solidify stability. And moved on to phase one, unconventional warfare preparation. And this begins with intelligence preparation of the environment. Uh, It includes, but it's not limited to, analysis of uh, resistance forces, strengths, weaknesses, logistics, concerns, level of training, experience, uh, external political ties, um, and factional relationships or military agendas. So analysis and planning for transition to civil governance begins including contingency planning for collapse of adversary government or an adversary power and uh, and sudden victory by resistance. So the activities under that heading would be to uh, conduct continual area assessment, design, plan, and update the uh, unconventional war campaign, Gain access to and identify resistance assets. Uh, Continue preparation of the environment, civil, military, physical, and virtual domains. Conduct uh, military intelligence, collection operations, and civil affairs support. Conduct joint intelligence, preparation of the operational environment. Synchronize activities with interagency partners develop non-standard logistics infrastructure and plan support to irregular forces. So synchronizing activities with an interagency, interagency partners would be, um, working together with, uh, related agencies like the state department here in the United, here in the U S it would be like the state department, uh, the marines um... You, the special ops forces that are under use will say the SEALs this is a frequent one so an example of that would be in Libya is a um, a good example of uh... of a multi-agency or inter-agency um, synchronization Uh, development on standard logistics and infrastructure and plan support to irregular forces so irregular forces are um, they're outside of a military force so you don't have standard logistics or or uh, supply lines so you want to you would have to arrange for supplies and logistical support that um, is uh less focused and more diffuse throughout um, throughout your your civil society so uh, you know you'd be reliant on safe houses and um, community partners to help supply and support uh Irregular forces. Um, This is also, some of this is included in... um, When moving into an area, raiding... The local... um, Supply points, so markets or... Uh, stores and this sometimes is part of an operation is to uh, gain some of your um, infrastructure and logistical support uh, by making a raid on a on a um, a product location that you have need of the product and aren't able to acquire it any other way by means of a, um, a more reasonable, um, logistical supply line. Uh, you want to maintain support mechanisms. So whatever you have, whatever's in place to support, uh, the ongoing operation. Um, would have to be maintained and maintain and develop public relations, intelligence analysis to support non-conventional assisted recovery and uh, unconventional assisted recovery. So uh, assisted recovery is uh, uh, pulling out people or equipment, uh, recovering them from behind, Enemy lines wherever your enemy lines are. So if your enemy lines are diffused across a across a um, a community, you know this this uh, this is a different view than if you have um, you have clearly drawn enemy lines with a front that uh, you know you cross the area of a certain city. You're behind enemy lines if you're. If you're to the north of that city, you're in front of enemy lines. And if you're to the south of that city, you're behind enemy lines. Uh, So those would be the activities under phase one preparation. Uh, Phase two is initial contact. Uh, before rendering support to a resistance establishes contact with the representatives of a resistance organization to assess the compatibility and resistance interests and objectives. So you want to make sure that there's a compatibility with um, uh, democratic ideals and... The assessments based on political negotiation between um, the evaluation and uh, the resistance organization. So once there's an established compatibility, uh, then they it's assessed for resistance potential, and then during initial contact, uh, planners arrange for the dispatch and reception of a pilot team. Uh, planners are usually counterintelligence. Uh, they often are working with a sort of a civil affairs, um, team focus. Uh, that's the arranging, um, once that compatibility is determined. So, you know, once it's, uh, it's determined what the, um, resistance means to achieve and to make sure that those goals are in line with um, political, you know, with democratic political ideals. Then uh, planners arrange for the dispatch and reception of a pilot team. So uh, the pilot team is a, this is a guidance team. Um and it's uh, dispatch would be sent out, and the reception would be who's gonna meet them and where are they gonna go? how are they gonna get started uh the pilot team is a um the initial uh introductory team of uh advisors and trainers um that would be assisting uh the resistance um structure to uh increase its um compatibility with uh force support and to increase its capability for the mission completion uh so when possible, planners uh, exfiltrate a resistance representative referred to as an asset from the operational area to brief the pilot team during its planning phase. So they would, they would pull out uh, a good uh, representative of the resistance who is well-informed and has a strong grasp of the entire resistance operation from the top to the bottom, from the outside to the inside, to um, to help bring the pilot team up to speed with what's, is, uh, what's in the resistance force, what the resistance force is, um, is working on at present what they plan to achieve in the short term, what they plan to achieve in midterm and long term, uh, who's who's who and what's where and who's where and where they plan to go with it, and then to kind of also work out some kind of a, um, a structural uh, model for the uh, fast-tracking of the resistance main goals and um, objectives. So the asset would be exfiltrated. This means uh, pulled out of the active zone and brought in outside of the active zone to the pilot team before they're inserted to brief them up on it. And then he inserts in with the pilot team and helps facilitate their integration into uh, the resistance main um, structural layout, whatever that is. Um, so the planning team, the planning phase, uh, for the pilot team is fairly important. Uh, they have to be prepared for all kinds of contingencies. Once they're in, they can't really get out very easily. So they have to be able to be able to, you know, roll with the action. So they have to be as prepared as possible to handle whatever comes up if, if their tire goes flat how are they going to handle traveling 150 miles without a vehicle uh you know if the if the drop doesn't go right and there's some kind of a there's some kind of an interruption uh what sort of action are they going to take and so on so it can be very com- complex planning that extends across a wide array of possible um failures along the route that need to be uh, bypassed or um, overcome in some way to uh provide a final successful um, complete insertion and uh establishment of a what would be considered sort of the basic uh anchored team that would pull in the rest of the um, the rest of the support units that the su- support teams that would come in to assist the resistance in various areas. Uh, the asset can accompany the team during their infiltration of the operational area and then facilitate link up with resistance forces. So it's kind of a, the person acts as sort of a guide in. Uh, they up, they bring the team up to speed and update them on everything that's going on. And then they, then they help them insert, uh, with a known person so that they, so that the, uh, the resistance forces, uh, you know, can kind of integrate with them a little bit better. So the activities during phase two initial contact would be to determine the mission command requirements, um, and then establish contact with the resistance and uh, then prepare pilot teams and synchronize with uh... Um, international partners um, and then to continue uh, civil military physical and virtual domain uh... development um, They would want to continue conducting MISO and uh, civil affairs support to unconventional warfare if that's possible. A lot of times this is a very small team Uh, it just has a few members in it and uh, the the incoming secondary teams they also are very small and they only have a few members to them. So it wouldn't go so far as to cover all of civil affairs. Uh, This is more of a civil affairs kind of goes into effect when everybody's when the whole force is in country so this is uh this is the pre force um but it would continue uh implementing to integrate that at some point uh they would con- continue to uh conduct uh, the joint intelligence preparation and operational environment and, uh, joint intelligence preparation and operational environment and, uh, synchronize activities with, um, other partners in, uh, other departmental partners. So for example, um in afghanistan uh there was uh there was a cross reference between um special ops and uh police forces uh The intention was to put in a police force Afghanistan did not have a a standard police force they didn't really have any active police force so to initialize a police force. To handle criminal investigation in the country, they brought in um, advisors for uh, the establishment of a police force. I personally I don't think this was done correctly, but nevertheless, that was a, an integration of several different department services, State Department and that was uh the diplomatic section uh there was the counterintelligence um section working on it and there was the special ops section uh special ops command and some and special ops uh teams and then they brought in um civilian um, advisory authorities on the police force to establish an in-country um, police force native to the peoples of Afghanistan. So that's an example of working across group agency partners. Um Then you want also for uh, activities under phase two initial contact establish non-standard logistical stocks and build capacity to support irregular forces. So this would be you know things that are necessary like weapons, uh, military equipment, military grade equipment, um, flak vests, uh, um, ammunition. Um, Tripods, uh, vehicles, um, that sort of thing. Uh, Fuel to maintain those. Ammunition to maintain the weaponry. So you would want to work to build capacity to support irregular forces through training uh, that upgrades whatever training that they have or whatever practical experience that they've developed. And, uh, And some... Um, introduction to, uh, motives, um, that support, um, the inclusion of democratic ideals with the, uh, with the already established, um, resistance agenda. For political change and then finally to continue public relations analysis and support of public relations mechanisms so that may or may not be in effect at this point This is a little bit early uh, initial contact a lot of times there's a uh, very little PR going on it's mostly PR that that uh, is in connection with uh, the resistance organizations contacts in the community, so they have <clears throat> they have contacts that aren't you know that aren't uh, known to the community. The community is not really noticing or recognizing that there's a resistance force moving through it. Uh, some of the community is supporting that resistance, so the PR contacts and the PR activity and mechanisms would mainly involve um, not the general public, just the public specifically focused on assisting the um, the resistance organization and uh, the resistance forces so then that moves us on to phase three that'd be infiltration so infiltration has started with the um, the first team has gone in this is a pilot team uh, they they begin to uh steer the resistance forces towards a particular um, pursuit based on what the resistance force is attempting to do, what the government looks like, what the nation looks like, uh, to pursue democratic ideals within the country, under the country's, um, you know, to, to... introduce those into the country to some extent. Sometimes they're already partially there. Sometimes they're on the way in. And uh, they, you know, they've, when I say partially there, I mean they were there previously and they were dis, they were dislocated from the government and then scattered. Or um, they have just started up sort of a democratic push for uh, democratic government and it's begun to form in the public, but it hasn't really been introduced into the government yet. The government has never really been a democratic government so far. But there's quite a lot of support for it in the national community. And then, uh, and then sometimes it's uh, it's hardly there at all. They have no contact with the democratic ideals. Uh, there's always a little bit of a problem with this. Um, Sometimes the uh, the um, the insertion team's uh, a political agenda and the uh, resistance forces political agenda doesn't necessarily mesh too well. Um, the intention is of the. Um, of the pilot team is to introduce democratic ideals and, uh, to turn that government to a a democratic, um, standard and the, uh, the resistance forces ideals might be different than that. And they, they go along with it because they want the support and backing of uh, someone who can provide um, the necessary training and firepower. So this happens whether we're talking about the United States or we're talking about some other country. Uh, for example, um, in Central and South America, there was a lot of support from Russia. And there wasn't really um, a. a, They didn't really want uh, the Russian political system necessarily. Uh, This is back when there was the Soviet Union, Uh, but they did want that support. um, In Vietnam, Uh, Vietnam didn't really want to be part of China, but they did want the support of uh, the Chinese military. So, it it doesn't really. You know, it doesn't always, um, it doesn't always strongly represent uh, the resistance forces' uh, intentions in uh, their pursuit of their agenda, their political agenda. <clears throat> when that happens, um, you know that's a, that's a catalyst for um, uh, problems. That can develop later, uh, and it's and it's kind of uh, important that the pilot team recognize that, and really try to keep it from twisting the wrong way, and to try to keep, you know, try to maintain um, the the uh, the mission as a force for good, and not let it turn into something else. So this is uh, during hand filtration, a pilot team uh, clandestinely infiltrates the operational area, and then they link up with the resistance force uh, to conduct or confirm a feasibility assessment. So uh, clandestinely uh, infiltrate. Sometimes they they drop in with parachute. Uh, A lot of times they come in on a sort of a... um, civilian style transport, uh, appearing to come into the country, um, legally. Sometimes they, uh, they swim up on the coast and walk onto shore. So, uh, sometimes they, they boat up, a up a river and, uh, land, um, inside, uh, far inside the, um, the country, the, in the center of the country rather than on the outskirts of it. Uh, sometimes they fly in on a commercial jet and uh, and get off and go through customs. So it depends on what's possible. Um, so the operational area might be uh, main city. Uh, more often than not, it's out um in the more remote areas. And then they want to conduct or confirm a feasibility assessment. And uh, that's finding out if this is really going to work out. Um, If the assessment is favorable, the pilot team coordinates to infiltrate, and then they receive follow-on special forces teams and supplies. So there's different kinds of, um, of, I guess I can go over that at the end. Uh, the, um, MISO personnel attached to the follow on special forces teams and provide, um, those early special forces uh, infiltration teams uh, with uh, early entry influence and information capability while developing an indigenous uh, capability. And as the teams infiltrate the operational area and link up with their respective uh, resistance force counterparts, they begin their own operational assessment to confirm or to deny the assumption of the overarching um, campaign plan. So, basically once the team goes in, it's been assessed pretty closely that it's that it's uh, compatible with uh, the goals and, and um, campaign plan of the, uh, of the incoming teams. Um, but sometimes... Sometimes it doesn't really mesh too well after a while. Uh, usually once the teams are committed to going in, once the first pilot team has gone in and they've, um, brought in this, the follow-on teams, it's, that's usually pretty, um standard for sticking with it uh so the influence and information capability while developing an an indigenous capability um that's uh You know, bringing the indigenous uh, resistance force up to speed, the idea is not to replace them with um, the, the incoming special forces teams. Special forces teams are meant to augment the resistance team so that the resistance forces, the resistance forces are supposed to be developed and augmented and supported. Not, not over, you know, not taken over and, and, and run as a, as a internal special forces um, operation. So the operation remains with the resistance forces that were the indigenous resistance forces. And the incoming teams, although there might be quite a few of them, only supply support uh, backing. So advisory and training and instruction and um, logistical support and assistance uh, in specific circumstances uh, for successful completion of the of the um, compatibly determined political operational agenda, so they want to take a radio tower. It's been determined that this isn't that this meets with the necessary requirements uh, for um, establishing. Uh, more of a a communication link and a and a uh, a positive um, pro democracy uh, communication broadcasting center, and so this is a this is a goal that uh, is supported and assisted and. A special forces team will go in there and assist the um, the indigenous uh, resistance forces' planned uh, campaign to take the radio station and uh, commandeer it. Um, so in phase three, um, the influence and information, this is, uh, you know, the influence is maintaining enough, uh, compatibility with the indigenous forces that they accept and embrace and um, are enthusiastic about uh, the um, strategic campaign ideals that the team brings in with them. So they want to pursue democratic ideals. They want to pursue... Um, a campaign plan and also a operational plan that puts um, that puts democracy into place. And that wasn't exactly maybe what they started with it when they first started out uh, basically they were just trying to get rid of a dictator. Now they want to put they want to put in a government or help encourage the um, the development of a government that is democratic and represents all of the people in the country. So during phase three infiltration activities would be infiltrate the pilot teams. So bring, bring them in, either drop them in or insert them by a ship or shore or, uh, more, um, Facilitated means uh, sometimes the, the, uh, the resistance force has a, um, a wide enough effect on the general society that they're able to uh, activate a fairly large network of um, support assets and safe houses to bring a team in you know, under the guise of any number of regular entries into the country. I conduct uh, unconventional uh, warfare area assessment. So the team goes in and assesses whether or not that's going to work out. The first team, the pilot team, they have basically affirmed that this is a possibility, and the follow-on teams reinforce that. And try to keep that moving in the in a positive democratic direction uh, to establish mission command infrastructure. So to set up a um, a loosely uh, loosely placed um, internal command structure for the unconventional warfare teams coming in that is not reliant on the um, the indigenous uh, resistance forces but is compatible and colleagues with them uh, to minimize risks to force and mission, so to take out anything that might be a problem in that area um is you know they they're unable to bring in uh further teams uh without uh they have to get some control over the landing strips in the area there it's not really possible to land anything where they're at without taking over some landing strips or building landing strips so Building landing strips or taking over landing strips would become part of the mission objectives. So that would be minimizing risk to force and mission by commandeering landing strips or constructing landing strips and maintaining the construction of them. Uh, Continue um, analysis, the civil, military, physical, and virtual domain, uh, and... um, effort to uh maintain those um and develop them uh in support of the new uh mission objectives of the uh indigenous resistance Uh, to conduct MISO and civil affairs support to unconventional warfare, same, and conducting a JIPOE and continuing RNS. So synchronizing special uh, ops forces and resistance and interagency activities, and then um, establishing Uh, stock and plan support to irregular forces and maintaining support mechanisms and expanding PR infrastructure. So basically um, partnering up uh, team to team or team to unit or sometimes man to man or person to person uh, to support and stock the regular forces, um, with material support and also informational, um, public relations, uh, contact, external contact and internal contact, and, um, uh, democratic ideals and and um support to help develop those forces those indigenous uh resistance forces to do the job and and succeed um that brings it to phase four. That's organization. Uh, once U.S. once advisors link up with resistance leadership, the objective is to determine and agree upon a plan to organize the resistance for expanded operations. Um, so those expanded operations, oftentimes resistance forces, it's very, very thin. It's really struggling. Uh, it's trying to achieve uh, its objectives and a it makes a little bit of headway but it's not having a very large scale success it's uh it's really struggling against a lot of uh suppressive and oppressive um factors from the circumstances of the of the country and the job of the um teams is to go in there and help break them out of that uh, very limited um, conduits of, of effect and kind of expand their um, area of operations to cover a wider array of um, objectives and ideals and uh, functions. So they want to, li- for phase four, they link up with, uh, with the resistance leadership and, uh, and their, the objective then is to, to determine and agree upon a plan to uh, organize resistance for expanded operations. And then in addition to physical preparation, entail a confirmation of uh, mutual objectives and prior agreements. So the prior agreement is, uh, we'll support you if you support democratic ideals. Uh, if you put in a democratic government and you're, you want to put in a democratic government, that's what, that's what, you know, what, uh, what the, what the, um, unconventional warfare team support mission is, is to, is to help that take place. And, uh, So that takes an ongoing effort. Uh, It can be difficult sometimes if there was an original idea uh, from the resistance forces that was not specifically democratic. Uh, They didn't really have any contact with democratic ideals, and uh, they didn't really um, think about it that way. They just thought about they just wanted to get rid of a warlord. Uh, They just want to establish... Uh, peace in a in a specific region of the country that sort of thing so this expands that and sometimes it can kind of uh, um, it can uh, make it difficult for um, the resistance feels like the like the uh, original plan of the resistance was being hijacked that sometimes happens and it's Imperative that the team keep that from happening, uh, and continue to make the uh, objectives and the the direction about what the resistance force wants to accomplish, and make that uh, pro democracy, um, because uh, if the if the resistance force is antagonized or uh, you know, turned inimical, this isn't going to help anything out. It's not going to, it's not going to accomplish any of the intended objectives of the uh, the infiltration team. So the idea is to uh, continue assisting the uh, resistance forces um, and encouraging them to see the positive factors in introducing democracy into their country rather than introducing, um, you know, a partial plan or no political agenda or a limited political agenda with, uh, you know, a person that's uh, doesn't exactly support political, uh, support democratic ideals and so on. Um, So that requires a lot of rapport building to develop trust and confidence between the uh, resistance forces and the advisors and to build a period of discussion of expectation on both sides. So both sides have expectations of the other. Uh, The resistance force, their expectation is that they will get um, weapons and material. This is the most pressing concern of a resistance force is that they get incoming weapons and military material that supports the ongoing uh, mission. So that's then used by the infiltration teams as a leverage point for pressuring, um, the resistance force to, you know, to, to put in a democratic, um, structure for the political replacement government. Um, So the confidence has to be maintained by, you know, the the teams have to come through with that. They when they promise material and support, they have to come through with the material and support, and uh, and when they promise a successful uh, completion of a certain set of tasks or or mission objectives, uh, they have to they have to make sure that that does provide a successful conclusion before moving on to the next segment if there's a loss of confidence in the advisory teams and training teams then then you know the they begin to lose footing and uh and the the resistance force just heads off on its own and once it heads off on its own it's unlikely to come back around to the teams and the teams can get trapped there. And of course they can lose their lives. Um, before a resistance organization can successfully engage in uh, combat operations, its leadership has to organize an infrastructure uh, that can sustain itself on uh, in combat and withstand anticipated hostile reaction to armed resistance so sometimes um the infrastructure is very very flimsy. Uh it's just a very very thin group of people. Uh they don't have much they don't have much many weapons or much support and uh they don't have a um a, a, a extensive infrastructure uh either a political infrastructure or a support infrastructure in the community. Or, uh, um, a leadership structure inside their organization to help, you know, facilitate, uh, good morale and, um, a sense of, um, of, uh, possibility of accomplishing su- successfully accomplishing their, their, uh, their mission goals. Um, so they want to have something that can sustain itself in combat and withstand anticipated hostile reaction to armed resistance so obviously there's going to if they're in a country in which the government it has complete control of the country armed resistance inside that country is going to meet with um negative and hostile armed aggression in response, so that's going to establish an open conflict not a not a subversive um, not a subversive uh um Under the radar war, an open conflict between the government and the, the resistance forces. So previous to this, the resistance forces made, you know, quick incursions in, they bombed a building, uh, they shot a couple people, uh, they uh, they rammed some cars into some some stands that had uh, that had some important relevance to uh, the political agenda of the the government. Uh, they they traveled up and down the uh, the streets in a car with a loudspeaker and uh, shouted slogans. So this isn't very extensive, and and in phase four organization uh, the. Infiltration teams help that resistance movement, which might just be a bunch of students, um, you know, uh, pressing for a democratic government, um, turning them into more of a fighting force that can withstand uh, a government response It's armed and hostile. So during organization, the resistance leadership develops a resistance cadre uh, or cadre as the organizational nucleus for the build-up phase. Um, so during that time period, the activities would be to develop resistance campaign plans. What are they going to do? What is the plan? Where are they going to go to? Uh, establish operations and intel infrastructure. Uh, what operations are going to happen and what kind of intelligence is available and how can they expand that intelligence um, development and, uh, and usage. Uh, organize and train resistance elements, underground auxiliary and guerrilla forces. So underground forces are uh, civilians who, who appear to be uh, uninvolved and are involved. Uh, they they perform underground activities. They maintain a safe house. They make radio calls. They make phone calls. They make contact and introduce somebody into the community. Uh, auxiliary, uh, this is government, some government forces that uh, support the resistance or resistance uh, personnel who've infiltrated into government forces and are working both sides. And then guerrilla forces, those are... Um, paramilitary forces, they're not associated with any particular military. They have some arms and equipment, and they make use of them. So you want to enhance force protection measures and counterintelligence capabilities. So bringing uh, um, force protection is uh, defending one's own forces. So, defending um, the teams and also establishing some parameters for defense of the uh, resistance forces. Um, and then the counterintelligence capabilities, these begin to uh, multiply through the community and expand. Uh, previously, it was very, th- very uh, few counterintelligence assets, and these expand uh, to help establish um, a wider network across the community. And the, those uh, those counterintelligence um, capabilities help, uh, you know, develop the um, underlying community structure. That helps support and and lend popular support and popular resistance to uh, the armed resistance. That's the uh, the um, the indigenous resistance force. Uh, then refined MISO messaging. So this is like uh, I gave the example of taking a radio station. So then now you have a radio station. Uh, this is refining MISO uh, messaging. This uh, this. This can this becomes a, a means to broadcast uh, some of the um, the message that uh, of uh, necessity to introduce a, a more uh, populous um, positive political environment into the uh, general structure of the society. In the nation in question, uh, so in this case, it would be uh, democratic ideals to a nation that doesn't have democratic ideals, uh, and this may be unfamiliar to people, and so this has to sort of be introduced, uh, and that that's part of the MISO messaging. Uh, also, um, you know, to build popular support for the uh, the resistance, uh, there might be a lot of government support seemingly uh, on the surface. Um, just because it's always assisted business owners and uh, wealthy persons in the society to support the government because the government is where the money and uh, the the economic stability of the country comes from. So the idea is to help tr- get those people to support uh, the the resistance movement. Uh, Either the resistance forces, which are the armed forces, or the resistance movement, which is the supporting uh, infrastructure that's building around that resistance movement or that resistance force. So we have the resistance force that's actually doing the fighting, and then we have a resistance uh, movement that's uh, supporting that um, resistance force. Sometimes when when the teams first come into the country, there's just a resistance movement it hasn't really gone to a resistance force too much yet. Uh there's a little tiny bit of it here and there. There's some uh there's some slogan spray painting. There's uh, there's been a couple of uh gunfights. Nothing really serious. And that's what the team comes in and does is it turns that uh that resistance movement, which is a group of people who want to get a resistance force going. Helps to start that resistance force, which can be very difficult, you know, with a group of people that they have never resisted the government before. They have never gone up against the government. Guns are illegal in their country. If you're not in the government, you don't have a gun. Uh, The military equipment is not available. Um, You know, you, you, you go with a spear and a shield or you take with you. Uh, a pitchfork and uh, some piece of uh, a piece of um, wood or some object that you you know the fender off of your truck that you can use to defend yourself. You don't really have weapons per se, so they rely on uh, the support of the incoming infiltration teams. To provide them with that armed resistance capability, uh, develop area complex, and then the logistical infrastructure uh, in that complex. So the area complex is, and uh, doesn't necessarily. It oftentimes is very diffuse. It's uh, it's in specific houses. Meetings take place in private homes, in private basements, uh, in uh, in in a location that's, uh, that's mentioned, um, in a, in a dispersed message, uh, everybody meets at a certain location, um, out in a remote area and training ensues or, uh, they develop some kind of a plan and, start to implement it from there. Um, And then the logistics infrastructure, this can be difficult. This is uh, getting guns and uh, ammunition, weaponry, um, military uh, force material into the resistance movement or resistance forces, however much of either there is. Uh, And then expand sanctuaries. So I got cut off a little bit on the last there. So I'm going to go back over uh, a little bit here. Uh, Activities. uh, This is for phase four organization. uh, Develop resistance campaign plans. Establish operation and intel infrastructure. Uh, Organize and train resistance elements, underground, auxiliary, guerrilla forces. Enhance force protection measures and counterintelligence capabilities. uh, Refine MISO messaging. uh, Develop area complex and logistical uh, infrastructure. Expand the sanctuaries and safe havens. And that's where I left off at. Uh, That would be safe houses and uh, uh, areas under um, resistance force control. Um, And areas that can be um, retreated to uh, in in, uh, what would be an urban or uh, a diffuse um, battleground location that doesn't have clear sides to it, doesn't have a clear uh, front line and uh, rear echelon, um, you know, where... Uh, safe areas would be to retreat to at that time. Uh, sometimes that's like a, a certain location, like a valley or a wadi. Sometimes it's a, it's a certain house, like um, the mayor's house or uh, uh, an underground basement uh, bunker area or a, a built bunker area in somebody's backyard that they put together. Uh, and sometimes that is um, just everybody withdraw to the building that was the government building that was seized earlier in the day. Um, so it gives a, any, any area uh, that can provide safe haven at, for a limited or extended amount of time and, um, and to expand those areas that are safe across a long period of time. Uh, to intensify um, unconventional warfare activities uh, with the um, indigenous force resistance force uh, activities and goals um, so keeping those up to speed with the uh, with the schedule and um, goals and campaign uh force and pressure that's motivating and activating the um the resistance force sometimes a resistance force they they become uh you know they they fall passive kind of waiting for for the uh insertion teams to to do the work and the idea is to to get them to do what they were going to do, and then to provide, uh, support and assistance and facilitate their, uh, expanding of that, uh, indigenous resistance force across, um, a wider community. If it's just a city or a region or a province or, um, you know, on through to the capital uh, shadow government organizes civil support and, and services. So, um, the shadow government, this is a government, uh, um, pr- a prepared, uh, established set of functionaries that would be persons who would be doing certain jobs that are ready to move into place once there is a, a political place to move into. So once the, uh, the dictator has been taken out and, uh, arrested and removed, then the, the shadow government is prepared. They have a, they have a leadership, uh, somebody who's going to be president or prime minister who can immediately move into position and begin to establish a, um, a basic functionary government that uh, sets up and provides the basis of um, ballot elections. So this is the difficulty is that, of course, when you're toppling, you know, a dictator uh, and you're putting somebody else in there, um, you know, that person they don't necessarily want to be elected there once they're in there if uh, under uh, in in many countries in many countries once they're there you know they're there and uh they don't see really they don't really see a need for elections or they they tend to set up election that facilitates them being elected again regardless of whether or not they were actually elected with you know ballot boxes that uh, are prepared to you know um that don't represent the actual electorate body of the people. They, they are, uh, they represent a stuffed ballot box. So the idea is to um, move a shadow government into place, and the the shadow government um, sometimes it's in the resistance forces, uh, preparatory to moving into the government area, and sometimes it's in the government. And it, uh, it supports the, the, um, it supports the, the resistance force. So I mentioned this before, this happened a lot during Nazi Germany, uh, when the Nazis invaded, um, a number of different countries, those countries, uh, they did not really want to go under Nazi control. And so the government, um, in those countries, mainly stayed intact so you had people making uh, military ids and civilian ids and government ids and uh, people transporting uh, uh, personnel around and you know all sorts of uh, just general jobs that people would be doing in a government uh, without really supporting the nazis and when when uh, the allied um, insertion forces arrived and requested their assistance They continued in their government job with the Nazis, but they, you know, they supported, uh, the, the allied resistance against the Nazis as much as they could and provided whatever they could from government, um, government access and facilities and logistics and supplies to help. Uh, the resistance forces move into place and and uh, accomplish a a successful uh, campaign in the area, um, and then to continue building public relations and public relations architecture, and that involves uh, radio stations, um, media, news media, television media. Uh, social media, um, pamphleting, um, loudspeakers on trucks, uh, small meetings and, and, uh, informational, um, conferences, uh, throughout the community, uh, supporting things like schools and education, um, so that, uh, there's a positive, um, connection with the resistance forces, not a negative connection. Resistance forces are there to, to improve the society, not to, not to, uh, not to dissolve it. And that brings it to uh, phase five, that's buildup. Uh, During buildup, the resistance cadre improves the organization's clandestine supporting infrastructure to prepare for expanded offensive operations, and uh, when the organization begins to conduct those operations on a wider scope and across a wider area, uh, many of the operations draw attention from counter-guerrilla forces. Uh, The organization has to have the supporting clandestine infrastructure to prepare for and sustain the operations. So the activities for that would be to uh, um, increase resistance organization, Uh, integrate disparate uh, resistance groups, uh, increase recruitment and intensify and advance training. Uh, Also to enhance targeting capabilities and expand operational reach and effectiveness and expand persistence and intrusive reconnaissance and surveillance operations and intensify MISO messaging. So the, the resistance organization can be very small uh you know 100 people or 200 people and um most of them have some connection to to the wider uh social fabric but not a lot they've broken out of it and are mostly working as guerrillas or um as a uh as a resistance force in some in some um at some step of, of, uh, improved resistance or increased in resistance. Um, so you would want to integrate dis disparate resistance groups. So you, you might have three or four resistance groups. Uh, they're all working in different areas. They're all kind of working for the same thing, but not exactly. Uh, some of them are working to remove the dictator and some of them are are working to replace a local warlord and some of them are, um, are working to establish a better education for women. So these are three separate groups that, that don't work together under normal circumstances and uh, part of the team effort, the part of the insertion team's effort is to integrate those groups together, to to introduce them to each other and help them work together. So uh, uh, those that are working to advance education for women, they might be carrying munitions and arms in as well as uh, books and papers. They already have an established underground um, route that they are are using to bring education materials to to uh, isolated groups of girls or women. They might also be bringing in um, arms and equipment. Um, the uh, this, this small um, resistance group that's trying to overthrow the warlord. Okay, the warlord is supported by the dictator. Uh, he doesn't get in the dictator's way, and in this way he's able to continue running his region. Ah, uh, the dictator mainly leaves leaves the region alone and leaves it to the to the warlord to maintain. So the two uh, armed resistance forces, the one that's trying to overthrow the dictator and the one that's trying to replace the warlord, these two can work together um, in the region uh, that the warlord is located in, and uh, that resistance group in that region uh, s- supports uh, militarily supports the, uh, the overthrow of the, um, of the dictator. So this was, uh, this was somewhat, um, in, uh, like in, uh, in Iraq. Um, the, uh, there were several different groups of, um, of resistance forces that uh, that supported um, the United States and Western forces. Uh, And they um, had uh, hoped to get Western support for their efforts. So the dictator would have been uh, Saddam Hussein and the, um, the warlord regional section with a resistance movement would have been the Kurds. So there was a resistance movement inside Iraq against, um, against Saddam Hussein. Uh, there were two religious sects, the Shia and the, and the, um, Um, I was interrupted there for a minute, Uh, the Shia and the Sunni. So that was two groups inside uh, Iraq that wanted to, they both were interested somewhat in replacing uh, Saddam and neither one of those two groups really agree with each other. And then we all, there was also the Kurds. So the Kurds were a local, um, uh, regional, uh, national identity that have their own recognized land. And, um, they don't have a warlord, but they do have, they do have a leadership and it it was necessary to get the Kurds to work with, um, established groups, uh, that supported the, the Shia and the Sunni, um, efforts. So it was, there was a, an effort to kind of, um, Get parts of the population that supported those three to work together, which was not a simple thing, but uh, it's a good example of a a wide number of resistance movements that all of them have to be incorporated because eventually, eventually it's going to come around to elections. Uh, They were going to put in a democratic government, either a parliamentarian or a a democracy, an electoral democracy. And, uh, you know, they, they need to, all of the segments of the society need to agree that that's what they want to put into place. So that was the effort. Um, so the buildup is just, uh, expanding, um, phase four. Uh, which was the organization. So the organization has now been established at a base level and the buildup just expands that organization and, and stacks it up, builds it up, um, out of the underground and into, uh, an active, um, vocal, visual, encounterable presence in the, in the general society, um, you know, resisting uh, the government and um, campaigning and also uh, uh, proceeding to accomplish goals by means of operational strategy. Uh, synchronize the, na- the necessity, um, also for phase five buildup is to, uh, synchronize operational effects with joint task forces and U S government agencies and coalition partners, if it's the U S. Um, so this is, uh, you know, coalition partners might be, uh, neighboring countries like right now, Poland is assisting with the Ukraine. Um, in Vietnam, uh, there was, there was assistance, uh, from Australia, um, to synchronize the operational effects with joint task force. So joint task force is, uh, this is a team that has, uh, more than one specialty on it. So you might have a, you might have a team, um, that has uh, some military and uh, some uh, special ops and some um, civilian support in it. So I gave the example of the police force. Uh, you would have a team that's a civil affairs team. Um, it's a um, it's a public relations team. It's got uh, it's got a. It's got a psyops um, element, it's got a two marine element, Um, it's got uh, one um, professor of uh, political science and um, uh, one um, SF element. And one counterintelligence element. So that's a joint team. All those, all of those are working in one team to accomplish one thing. And that's to introduce a public relations, um, a public relations effort that, uh, helps to, um, build the um, build the resistance movement support in the community and um, encourage public support for the resistance movement and develop further support for the resistance movement in the community and help the community um, realize that the resistance movement is uh, an assistance and not a detriment. Uh, so that would be government, government agencies. That would be, uh, the state department, um, uh, the department of energy, the department of defense, um, that sort of reference the department of the army, uh, the, uh, the engineering, um, uh, military engineering, that sort of thing. Um, and then to continue to build PR architecture, public relations architecture, and expand logistics, stock support, and sustainment capacity. So basically just uh, building up the uh, the positive goals and, um, and agenda and political persuasion of the, uh, of the resistance force in the national community to, um, to help turn national interest towards the, uh, the resistance force and against the dictator or against the repressive government. And it's already kind of there, you know, but it's difficult to get that to work against the government. A lot of times it, it doesn't like the government. It doesn't agree with the government. It doesn't necessarily work against the government too much. It mostly it, uh, it knuckles under because it has to. So trying to, uh, to sort of pl- attach that to the um, resistance forces to to power the resistance force up uh, from, you know, clear out on the outskirts to right in the middle of right in the middle of the national perspective. On uh, what should happen next with the country and that brings it to phase six that's employment Uh, during employment uh, the resistance force initiates an expanded scope of offensive operations to achieve the desired effects Uh, the desired effects can range from causing uh, an enemy to commit limited resources away from a pending invasion area uh, support, lending support to a pending invasion area, like uh, in a general war, or in the case of a separate insurgency, limited war, uh, the achievement of specific strategic uh, political-military objectives. Um, the specific tactics, raids and ambushes, and uh, activities like intelligence gathering or force protection... Uh, Those that all occur during employment are not exclusive to unconventional warfare. That's when you start introducing, uh, uh, the Marines start moving in a little bit. Um, So the activities during that time period, uh, maintain alignment of resistance campaign activities with resistance narratives, and I don't like the word narratives, Uh, with resistance... focus and uh outspoken ideals for political change and legitimacy uh synchronize resistance operations and activities across boundaries Uh, expand resistance controlled territory employ miso messaging to delegitimize to delegitimize adversary and uh, legitimize resistance and then to provide civil military support to displaced persons refugees and evacuees and uh, expand and prepare resistance capacity for governance so uh employment is just uh um Advancing the military, uh, conflict. Envelope from a very thin, um, conduit uh, through that was, that was the original, um, resistance movement to a wider multi- Fronted, um, um, entrenched and, and expanding um, military force that has the support and cooperation and, um, and, uh, assistance of the the communities, both the, the, the isolated communities, the rural communities, the urban com- communities are all interested in seeing that change take place and are assisting um, the resistance force as much as they can, wherever they can, to accomplish their agenda and their their campaign objectives. And that brings it to, uh, phase seven, that's transition. And this is where it begins to, uh, move into active, uh, open confrontation uh, between the government forces and the, uh, the armed insurgent forces, um, general war, this is, uh, this is like World War Two, where you have uh you have two fronts, you have a an Allied front and an Axis front, and uh and the Allied front is multiple governments, and the Axis front is one main government, uh riding across a number of of conquered governments, and uh, that's what it looks like. It just looks like a huge, open general war. Uh, Then you have raids and ambushes. These are very specific uh, tactics um, that, uh, you know, they're very short bursts of um, military firepower and effort to take a specific objective, a specific hill, a specific radio tower, uh, a specific building, a specific block. specific section of town Um, and then you have um, you have a limited war Uh, this is a a separate insurgency Um, this is where like uh, it appears that just one side is 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 uh, active that's the insurgent side. They are actively engaging the government at various points, and they start the firing and uh, attempt to um, attempt to create some kind of an oppression on the uh, established and entrenched government. Uh, they don't make a lot of inroad, inroads in. But they do take some specific areas, some buildings or uh, a few areas of town. They might have an entire section of town uh, that they have control of, that government forces have lost control of, that sort of thing. Um, and then there's the uh, the non-armed... Um, open warfare tactics of intelligence gathering and force protection. Uh, these are, are mainly to um, develop uh, further goals, strategies, and tactics. That would be the intelligence gathering. And to um, maintain the goals, and strategies, and tactics that have already been achieved. So whatever's already been gained so far and also to uh, reduce force loss because when you have a, a resistance force, it's a very small group of people. Obviously, you want to prevent the loss of that force, and you want to you want to try to expand the uh, the military um, recruiting for that uh, indigenous uh, resistance force. Um, the the assisting. Um, infiltration teams, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't do that. They, they support the, uh, the insurgent resistance force, but they don't, and they augment it, but they, they're not recruits to it. So the recruits have to come from within the, um, indigenous nation. So, native peoples of that country have to be encouraged to join the the uh, the active um, to include uh, ambushes and raids, which is that's open weapon use, uh, insurgency, and uh, and resistance force. Um, so at transition, uh, the activities for that would be, uh, to promote a new government legitimacy, uh, transition from, um, special, special ops, joint task force to security forces assistance, uh, demobilize and integrate guerrilla forces underground and auxiliary provide civil military operations, uh, support to the new government. Uh, MISO themes promote and to, reinf- to promote and reinforce civil governance, and uh, to be prepared to conduct um, counterinsurgency and uh, um, related operations, and then uh, shadow government and government and exile transition responsibility for civil governance. So sometimes, uh, sometimes the shadow government is a is a government um, in exile. This this is a Government forces that took, that started a democratic government, and they were uh, suddenly forced out, and now they're living in exile, and they're in a foreign country, uh, trying to reacquire their position uh, as a legitimate government in the country, and they, uh, they. Um, They operate as sort of a shadow government. A lot of people still recognize them as being the legitimate government. And uh, once they come into country, this helps to pull the uh, national loyalty and fealty from the from the uh, the repressive government and transfer it to the um, the original government that's become the government in exile, uh, or the shadow government kind of moves into position and, uh, begins to set up elections and prepare to, uh, acquire political control. Um, the transition can be kind of a little shaky uh sometimes the government uh, the the uh the resistance force the the nation has never really had a democratic government so the resistance force they're not really it's not really well prepared to put one into place and it's a little bit difficult to get one in place uh sometimes the country is very 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 poor and um lacking in basic infrastructure uh, it's not really possible to travel hundreds of miles on foot to vote so how are elections going to be handled in a country that has a lot of remote areas and those remote areas are isolated and and difficult to get out of and difficult to get into like these are these are questions that have to come up in the planning stage um, to help uh, facilitate the final, stage of, of, you know, a transition into a new democratic government. So the sharing and release of information to resistance or other partners is part of the planning process um, for uh, unconventional war campaigns. Um, Training, advising, accompanying elements of resistance that expose um, uh, tactical, uh, target acquisition and uh, pursuit and acquisition uh, includes sensitive and protected methods. Um, and the training and advising that is delivered to foreign nationals and then the effects of providing or withholding information uh, has to be carefully, evaluated, uh, as to whether or not that's, uh, the most ethical thing to do, uh, to assist the, um, the foreign national resistance movement in their acquisition of their political ideals, uh, or to assist the populace in supporting those political ideals. Uh, sometimes, um, sometimes unconventional warfare elements are very good about this and sometimes they're not. Um, and this can be a lot of trouble. Uh, there are a couple of, uh, counterintelligence and, uh, psyops. Those are two groups that they, um, they can a lot of times get that tangled up. Um, special forces is usually pretty good about it and, uh, and uh, special ops that'd be like the seals they're usually pretty good about keeping um keeping things on the ethical side uh it's there's a lot of it depends on how much involvement uh, the unconventional warfare element has in the gray area of warfare so that can make it difficult to um to keep the uh the um Information and methods that are withheld or provided ethical. So this is where, um, you know, sometimes some some wrong is done people in foreign countries, foreign nationals, some wrong has done them. Uh, they needed, you know, they needed information a certain way uh, really to do it, to, to make a, to accomplish uh, the goals correctly, and that information was withheld, and the training and 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 facility to accomplish that was withheld, and uh, it doesn't turn out very well. This kind of happened in Vietnam. This is one of the things that kind of occurred in Vietnam. Those things got tangled up, and it became very difficult to um, extricate uh, the U.S. out of Vietnam at the end of it, because um, they just, you know, the the... The maintaining of the uh, the tactic and and goal of uh, resisting communism had kind of backfired and uh, and a lot of the local populace had ended up siding with uh, with the communist um, forces from the north because they were indigenous forces and uh, and they they were um, they were pro community for the local people, and this made it difficult for U.S. forces to really get um, get a good foothold in the country and maintain it. So the release, transfer, and, and export of special operations tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, is mostly under classified military information. It's governed by law. Uh, government unclassified information has to be reviewed before disclosure to the public. Uh, requests for information from the public citing freedom of information are processed through freedom of information channels. You fill out paperwork, you submit the paperwork, they release the information. They're really good about this. Um, Usually, they don't turn it down if it's, uh, if it's possible to release it. So if you request it, if you want to request something uh, using FOIA, the paperwork for the freedom of information, uh, they're usually pretty good about delivering it. Uh, requests for information from foreign governments to government channels are processed by um, SOCOM Foreign Disclosure, FDO. And uh, primary responsibility for unconventional warfare is uh US SOCOM, that's um that's special operations command. So there's different kinds of special operations. I mentioned some. There's uh, the special forces, this is SOF special ops forces. Um this is kind of the older, quieter, um less uh The quieter, less, uh, um, um, I don't know what the word would be to use here. Uh, they have a quieter, less antagonistic, um, mode of operation. Uh, There's the SOC SOC, this is Special Ops Command and uh, Special Ops uh, like the SEALs Uh, the Navy SEALs are uh, the best known of those operations groups. Um, I listed a number of them up here uh, earlier. And it's a good time to go through them. So some of the special operations uh, teams and units would be special forces, uh, the SEALs. That's uh, that's SOC. They now have those combined under the same heading. So S SOC SOC and SOCOM, that's the command. Uh, they're both under the same um command heading. Uh, they used to be separate. Uh, Delta Force, that's uh they've recently reappeared. They were um they were decommissioned for a while. They were active during uh during Vietnam. Special Forces was uh started up during Vietnam and uh, Delta force was uh, the advanced special forces. Kind of what the uh, SEAL team is today. And uh, the SEAL team was uh, mainly, um, they did uh, detonation and uh, um, bridge and structure detonation and uh, shore tactics. So entry from a shore front and a uh, quick raid or ambush and then withdraw by water or sea. So that's developed a little bit differently now uh, since the Middle East. Um, but those are three groups that are still around. Delta Force is still around. Uh, Special Ops, um, SOCOM, Navy SEALs, they're still around. And Special Forces, SF, or SOF, S-O-F, Special Ops Forces, they're still around. Uh, then we have uh, Unconventional Warfare. That's, uh, that's kind of all of the forces, to all of these forces together um, referred to generally, not specifically. Uh, it's any kind of warfare that falls in a grey area. A grey area means that it's not clearly red and it's not clearly blue or it's not clearly black, it's not clearly white. Um, So uh, Black Ops is, uh, this is uh, completely off the board. Um, And White Ops, this is uh, is completely on the board. So Grey Ops is in between black and white. It's not completely off the board and it's not completely on the board. Um, foreign internal defense, uh, that is, um, that's self-explanatory. That's any foreign government's internal defense structure. Uh, and that can be, um, that can be a a force that works with, um, unconventional warfare elements. Uh, direct action, and, uh, that's, um that's like, uh, the state department and, uh, the CIA, uh, civil affairs operations. I mentioned civil affairs. The military has civil affairs operations. Uh, each of the branches have a civil affairs element. And then there's also sort of a, uh, a civil affairs element that's involved with counterintelligence, uh, special recon. This is special reconnaissance. Uh, this is a, there's an air wing to that. And, uh, um, military. Um, the each of the branches has a special reconnaissance section. Uh, they um, they support like the sni- snipers. That's special reconnaissance. Uh, infiltration for intel gathering. That's special reconnaissance. Um, so uh, ler- long range recon patrols long-range surveillance units those are all uh, special recon. Um, then there's security force assistance um, this is like uh, Air Command Airlift command and and uh, that area uh, Counterterrorism uh, there's a lot of uh, that's that's fairly new uh, that's mostly SF based, uh, but it, it's in, uh, the Marines have a section for it, and uh, it it's usually covers a joint task force or joint uh, joint training. Uh, foreign humanitarian assistance is for, um, uh, like, uh, the United Nations uh, refugee section, Providing, um, uh, you know, camps and so on for refugees and uh, displaced persons—persons persons displaced by war. Also, peacekeeping forces that would fall under uh, humanitarian assistance and uh, and um, then there's hostage rescue and recovery. Um, that's uh, we got a unit for that. That's based out of uh, Hawaii, the naval station there in Hawaii. Uh, they go in and uh, rescue uh, captured personnel or hostage hostages, uh, or the recovery of dead bodies. Like uh, there's been a lot of recovery from Vietnam and Korea here recently. World War II. They're still recovering body parts uh, to. Uh, for home burial, um, for burial here on native soil. Uh, counterinsurgency, that's coin operations. Um, that's uh, mostly task force, uh, joint task force, and it covers all of the services and the special forces, SOCOM and SOF. Uh, foreign humanitarian assistance, I went over, assistance, I went over that. That's uh, United Nations, UNHC, does that, uh, assist with that. And um, peacekeeping operations, Bosnia-Kosovo, we had peace, peacekeeping uh, peacekeeping operations there. Um, in uh, Somalia, that was peacekeeping operation, that was uh, uh, Black Hawk Down. And uh, countering weapons of mass destruction, uh, there's a section for that. And military information support operations, MISO. Uh, that includes a several different areas so that basically summarizes uh, That's a psyops that's another one psychological operations uh, they do um, a lot of the uh, the, the build-up and uh, um, community expansion of uh, operations uh, prior to um, prior to employment that's done by psyops so uh there's some uh, examples of this. This um this is somebody that's uh, works in special ops. They they gave some examples. Uh Red Dawn was one that they gave as a Cold War classic. Uh most people probably know of that. Dogs of War, that's another one. It's about the American Vietnam War. Uh Lawrence of Arabia. Um, Five Pillars is a book he wrote, uh, the actual man, Lawrence of Arabia, um, was, uh, served to this purpose from the British government to, um, Arab forces in, uh, the, the Gulf states, what are now the Gulf states, uh, the Middle East. Um, and he wrote a book called The Five Pillars. Um, and some other examples of that would be like, uh, the Terminator series, uh, Jack Clancy writes about it a lot. Uh, the IRA, um, a couple IRA movies. Uh, that's in Ireland with, uh, um, starred Harrison Ford. Uh, Red Dawn Rising. That's uh, Harrison Ford is uh, an advisor. He's dropped into on a on a uh, submarine. Uh, that's a good example of how to use uh, special ops, special forces. Uh, and joint teams and civil affairs to kind of give some flexibility. Like, how are you going to get your main character? You got this idea for uh, a submarine run amok, you know, gone rogue. Like, how do you get your main character in there? Well, you use a joint force task team. They fly in on a helicopter and they drop them on uh, on your submarine, which is surfaced. Okay, this is what happens in uh, Red Dawn Rising. Um, And I gave already the examples of the Chronicles of Reddick, and there's Rambo, First Blood, uh, the Rambo series, uh, Red Dawn, um, and uh, Starship Troopers, I gave that example, that's Heinlein. These are all examples of this, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to conclude this, and I'll pick it up on on another series. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this isn't as disorganized sounding as it uh, seems to me. I tried to put my notes together here, but, uh, it's a lot of stuff to cover. There's a lot of noise today. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this could be heard. And, uh, the, um, the main idea of this is to give, um, to give you something to work with. If you are... You just were you were an infantryman, and uh, you had a couple of firefights in Iraq, and you want to write about your firefights. Uh, you guys, uh, you encountered, you were in ambush alley, uh, and you were in sniper alley, and uh, you you actually encountered a couple snipers, and uh, you used a a sniper detector, and um, there was a lot of excitement around it. Uh, you seized a couple. Buildings, and you're trying to write about this, but you you can't really put together a plot from it. You don't have enough, you don't have enough stuff on your own, just your own uh, job categories and infantrymen to put together a whole plot line with uh, well-developed characters and a, and a, a scene that develops all of the areas that you saw working there at the time. This kind of gives you some other means to introduce other characters and other activities that are going on in the area. You know, you as a as an infantryman, you run into um, a team of um, marines that are supporting a SF uh, insertion team, and you have some. You know that develops into something that you use it to build your, to build the complexity and depth of your plot in your, in your work. Whether it's a whether you're talking about, a, you know, a video game, or you're talking about um, a novel or a movie, whatever it is that you're writing or working on, you know, the more active plot elements you have working together, uh, the more advanced and complex and, and engrossing your final product is. Um, there's a good example of this. Uh, Kyle um, wrote... Uh, this is a famous book that most people have read. Uh, well, here's one. No easy day. This is uh, Mark Owen. Uh, it's a first-hand account of the mission um, to for the compound, the uh, OBL compound, and uh, this is uh, this book is written firsthand, and uh, he just writes from his point of view, and it's just it's just special ops. It's do uh, some joint team stuff a little bit. Uh, it's mostly just him and a special ops team. They obviously they go in, they plan and prepare for it, and they go in. <clears throat> and it's a little bit lacking in, in, uh, in depth and complexity. And this is an example of somebody who has their specialty of work areas, uh, is special operations, and they kind of needed to include a wider array of, um, for example, government agencies. And departments that were involved that to help um, bolster and uh, um, improve the uh, the plot line that they that he pursued. Uh, it's great. It's a good book if you're interested in uh, special operations. It gives uh, some really good insight into special operations and. What they do and so on, um, and it's also a good writing example of, you know, what can you do to, um, you know, to make to make your your work uh, less um, one faceted and more multifaceted, or or less simple plot line one two three four five into the book to more complex set of characters and circumstances. Um, You know, when you have two or more things working at the same time, like there's a special ops unit going in, there's a special ops team going in, and then at the same time, there's also a counterintelligence team that's working. And then at the same time, there's also um, a uh, public relations um, office, that's working MISO all three of these working at the same time and you are covering all three of those. This, this, this makes sure your, your piece of work, um, more complex and more riveting to your audience. And speaking of riveting and lack of being riveting, this probably is not that riveting to most people, but that's it for today. And I'll, End of this uh, segment, I'll continue with another one later. All right. So this is uh a Civil affairs with a special operations um, function, I guess, or special operations and civil affairs. Uh, Special operations is unconventional warfare, uh, foreign internal defense, direct action, civil affairs operations, special recon, And uh, that's what I was talking about earlier, special reconnaissance. Um, uh, Security force assistance, counterterrorism, hostage rescue and recovery, counterinsurgency, uh, foreign humanitarian assistance, countering weapons of mass destruction, military information support operations. Uh, These would be activities that are conducted to enable... um, Resistance movement or insurgency, uh, to coerce, disrupt, or overthrow, uh, occupying power by operating through or with an underground auxiliary and guerrilla force in, in a denied area. So that would be, uh, um, the, uh, the local region is in conflict. Uh, there's a government, um, that is, has a, uh, you know, it's a suppressive or repressive government. Um, and there is a local effort to overthrow that government or or replace it um, legitimately with a with a legitimate government. So uh, a guerrilla force. Um, this is a, an actual uh, armed force. Uh, an underground. This is a a more of a covert, um, somewhat armed, mostly intel force. And uh, an auxiliary, uh, this is kind of a combination of the two um, like uh, like in South the, the division between North and South Korea uh, would be an auxiliary force. So activities conducted to enable a resistance movement or an insurgency to an insurgency to coerce, disrupt or overthrow a government or occupying force by, Operating through or with an underground auxiliary or guerrilla force in a denied area. So, this is a big basis for um, a good plot in fiction, in written fiction or nonfiction, and in a movie or in uh, the construction of or design of the concept con- design concept for a um, video game. So this is why you kinda have to have an idea uh, of uh, more than one area of military expertise to be able to construct that. Uh, so we're gonna go over resistance movement, that's an organized effort. Uh, by some portion of the uh, civil population of a country to resist um, the illegally established government or uh, an illegally established government or an occupying power or to disrupt civil order and stability. So a legally established government, this may have seemed to have been legal. For example, like a some sort of a monarchy or some sort of a um, a coup d'etat Um, which replaced the original government with a military government. Um, This in a certain way is legal because the original government was a legal government and they had placed the military and the military has overthrown the uh, head of government um, that leaves a a military-run government. And that government has some legitimacy because it was... It was initially put into place by an elected government, so that appears to be legal. But of course, it's going to cause dissatisfaction in the in the um, in the public, in the polity, and those who elected the original government uh, for the fact that they didn't they didn't they, they elected a presidential or a parliamentarian government. They didn't elect a military government. So at that point there would be um, some resistance to that the coup that overthrew the original elected leader, and that is the basis for a resistance movement against the um what is now the official government, which is the same as the original official government, but different. It's uh, it's reorganized itself. In such a way that the original official government, which was elected, is now formed differently into a military government instead of a um, instead of a presidential or a parliamentarian government, uh, or an illegally established government in which uh, the government has assumed control of the region by force, and uh, the people did not agree with it. This happened in in Korea or in uh, Vietnam. Uh, In Vietnam, um, the North Vietnamese um, were supported by China and were pressing down out of the very edge of North Vietnam right along the Chinese border. To occupy all of Vietnam with a communist, a hardline communist government that would be uh, a single communist Vietnamese government rather than what they had had previously, which was a um, loosely democratic uh, constructed government. And when the when the u.s. went into vietnam that split the north and the south uh so the northern government was uh was a communist government north vietnam was communist and supported by china china uh, provided the arms and um backing and the vietnam north vietnamese um military uh set about trying to overthrow uh the south vietnamese government which was a a western supported and western developed government um splitting vietnam in half during the uh vietnam war the vietnam conflict which is you know occupied from 63 to 75 here in the United States. Um, so insurgency, uh, a resistance movement. A good example of a resistance movement. Uh, resistance movement would be during World War II, uh, in France and across Europe. There was a, a strong resistance movement. Uh, these were regular citizens; uh, they were not military, um, who uh, underwent uh, secret um military based training uh to m- assist uh the um, allied forces and the allied forces were arrayed um, outside of the um, land area of we'll just use France as an example here. they had them the the resistance was in France and Holland and several other countries Belgium uh, so the the allies were arrayed outside of those land areas and they were trying to infiltrate into those land areas to confront the Nazis and the resistance movement facilitated that. Uh, attempt to move into occupied, Nazi-occupied area or um, you know, with the intel and um, uh, assistance in um, navigating through complicated areas of terrain and uh, metropolitan area and uh, contact with um, units inside the area of, of France or of Belgium or of Holland. Um, this facilitated uh, the invasion, the Allied invasion, into mainland Europe. Um, so insurgency, uh, that's the organized use of, of subversive uh, subversion and violence to seize, nullify, or challenge political control of a region. Uh, insurgency, uh, insurgency can also refer to uh, a group itself. So um, an insurgency is... Uh, um, The, the best example, uh, would be, um, in Afghanistan, uh, the, an insurgency is a, an effort to, uh, by a, um, grassroots organization or a, a low level basic, uh, local, um, effort to replace a a government or um a governing body uh counterinsurgency that's the uh, comprehensive civilian and military effort taken to defeat an insurgency and to uh, address core grievances um then uh, foreign internal defense is a participation by civilian and military agencies uh, of a government um in any of the action programs taken by another government or a designated uh, organization to uh free and protect the, in quotes, society or its society from subversion, lawlessness, insurgency, terrorism, and threats to security. So, um, a foreign internal defense would be uh, the United States um, providing defense to uh, Puerto Rico. So, Puerto Rico is a, is a, a protectorate of the United States. Uh, If a foreign power lands on the tiny island of Puerto Rico, which has almost no self-defense, the United States provides uh, all of the might of the United States Navy and army and Marines to uh, defend the land area of Puerto Rico. So you don't have an outside force arriving and placing um, you know, nuclear missiles on the land of Puerto Rico, uh, you know, claiming, uh, invading and, and quelling Puerto Rico and then placing uh, nuclear weapons, you know, within land strike of the United States. So we have a number of these that uh, the U.S. Um, serves as a protectorate for. So that's a form of uh, foreign internal defense. We defend them, uh, although they maintain their own internal government. We defend them against, uh, in a foreign invading force, uh, but we are ourselves a foreign force to their country. So if there's going to be a war in Puerto Rico, it would be against two foreign forces fighting over the landmass of Puerto Rico with Puerto Rico siding with the United States and maintaining its own government. So there's three governments involved. There would be like the United States, there would be uh, X ex foreign government and then there would be Puerto Rico. The three foreign three governments altogether there. Two governments fighting over the landmass, occupation of the landmass of Puerto Rico, one government to, you know, with the intention of of uh um of possibly attempting to invade the United States or or make some military action against the United States and the United States to defend uh US territory. Uh coerce, uh coercion is uh forcing someone to do something they would rather not do. Um And uh, unconventional warfare applies the method of coercion through supporting a resistance or an insurgency. A disruption is a disrupt. That's to prevent or impede someone or an entity from doing something uh, it would like to do. So a disruption disrupts organized activity attempting to achieve uh, a larger... Goal or mission. That uh, can be a small-scale disruption, or it can be a large-scale disruption. Um, unconventional warfare can overthrow. Uh, it overthrows a state or occupying power when it's intended. Uh, that the supported, successful maintenance. Uh, when the when it's. Uh, it's intended that the supported successful resistance supports an appropriate leader for political control and government and governance of that, of that area, of that land area. Um, a good example of this is, uh, Haiti. Haiti has an ongoing circumstance with, um, a politically elected government, their legitimate government that's been legitimately elected, that either oversteps its uh, legitimacy by overstaying its welcome or is overthrown by uh, various um, segments of the society, of the Haitian society that, uh, you know, um, uh, disagree with the election of that government or the function of the government. Um, Underground uh, warfare, this is a cellular organization uh, within a resistance that has the ability to conduct operations in an area that are inaccessible to guerrillas like uh, urban areas under the control of local security forces. Uh, Auxiliary, that's a portion of a populace that provides active Clandestined effort to guerrilla force or or the underground, um, a guerrilla force, uh, that's a group of irregular, predominantly indigenous persons uh, or personnel organized along military lines, uh, that conduct military and paramilitary operations in enemy-held, hostile or denied territory, and then a denied area. A denied area. This is an area under enemy or unfriendly control, uh, in which friendly forces. Uh, do not expect to operate successfully uh, without effort or operate with uh, in existing operational constraints and force capabilities Um, indigenous populations uh, engage in resistance and they're composed of uh, primary components the underground auxiliary guerrilla forces public components Shadow government and government in exile. Uh, the goals and objectives and success of the resistance. Uh, determine the level of development and relationships among components. So a good example of this is uh, I can't remember what the name of this movie was. It had Vin Diesel in it. He's a uh, he was convicted. This is in a on another planet. He's a uh, convicted and sent to a prison colony on a. Um, on a, uh, a mining planet and he is, um, he's broken out of his prison term. Uh, his prison term is still in effect, but he's assisted to break out of his prison term and, uh, they want him to do a special mission, which they, uh, the government that's requesting this, um, he previously was a an operative. Uh, they don't want to admit to having hired anybody. And he is the guy to do the job additionally with his skill level. So he proceeds to the planet that he is supposed to do this operation on. And, and when he arrives there, he's met by a civilian um, in the... Uh, metropolitan area. He's taken to a safe house uh, and he's prepared with various items to proceed to undertake this mission. So this is an example of this going on. Uh, The mission that he's undertaking is, it's an, it's a, um, a mission that contravenes the efforts of the government of that planet. So this is a um, this is a good um, example of the need to have some idea of how to involve unconventional warfare with what might be a conventional um, a conventional occupational specialty that's being used as the main uh, character motive in the um, in the work that's being done, either the fiction work or the nonfiction work or computer game. So um, the Goals, objectives, and success of a resistance determine the level of development and relationship amongst the components. Uh, the underground and guerrillas are uh, political mil- military entities uh, that may conduct both political and military acts and that represent the ends of a spectrum between clandestine and overt resistance. So clandestine, clandestine is, um, is undercover and uh, like a spy level, and uh, overt resistance this is open warfare. Uh, cold war. This is a more towards the clandestine um area of warfare, and uh, um, a conflict is just as it's breaking out of a cold war situation and into it's not quite gone to a hot war, which would be open, open warfare. Uh, it's still in the um, uh, the the um, disruptive forces inside the country are still uh, destabilizing the larger uh, stability of the country. And it hasn't quite reached the point where it's broken into open warfare, which would be a hot war. Uh, the underground and gorilla, um, the auxiliary represents a clandestine support structure for both the underground and the gorillas. Uh, they, sometimes they do that. They sometimes support both sides. And this is one of the problems. Um, the public component functions as an overt political and uh, material support. Uh, the public component can negotiate with a nation state government or occupying power on behalf of resistance movement objectives and typically make overt appeals for domestic and international support. Uh, Public components can represent resistance and strategic leadership, or they can, uh, they can just be an interest, an interest section. So, um, Zelensky right now would be considered a public component. Um, and I, there was just recently an article about, uh, some women who are selling nudes of themselves, this Ukrainian women, uh, they've produced, uh, like a calendar of nudes that they're selling to raise money, uh, to support the Ukrainian, uh, resistance. So this would be a, this would be a public component. Uh, they're, they are working in a group to provide Um, financial support to uh, the continued resistance of the invasion. Uh, The underground is a cellular organization within the resistance It has the ability to conduct operations in an area or areas that are inaccessible to guerrillas, urban areas under the control of a local security force or um, well, there's several underground example of examples. Uh, that would be intelligence, counterintelligence networks, uh, special material fabrication, uh, like for false identification, uh, munitions, uh, media networks, radio, newspaper or leaflet print shops, uh, subversive radio, and, uh, that would be like. Um, uh Tokyo Rose in Korea um and there was a similar one in Vietnam uh, that's intended to um, you know disrupt uh western morale or conversely we are ha- we also have a um, a subversive subversive radio that would be uh um radio free whatever the country is that we're talking about so radio free Africa, radio free Europe, uh the radio free series that uh brings Western radio in to areas where Western radio is not allowed, for example like Iran. Um And then there's also uh, um, network radio. They would provide network radio. This is uh, radio that um, transfers uh, intel uh, back to um, an invading force that's still outside the country uh, or that um, makes arrangements via radio between two... Locations for uh for evacuation to a safe house or or for a special ops uh, team to move from one section of a country to another from one household to another household that might be arranged by an underground radio network. Uh, so, social media, web pages, logistic networks, sabotage, clandestine, medical facilities, generation of funding. I just mentioned one of the uh, generation of funding options that has happened here recently. Um, and auxiliary refers to that portion of the population that provides active clandestine support to the guerrilla force or the underground members of. Of, uh, of that force. The members of the auxiliary are part-time, vo- part-time volunteers who have value. Um, their normal position in the community provides that value. Uh, some functions are logistic procurements and distribution, uh, guerrilla bases, labor for special materials, uh, early warning for underground Uh, Facility and basic uh, provisions, intelligence collection, recruitment, uh, communication and couriers or messengers, uh, distribution, media, and safe house management. Um, A guerrilla is an irregular, predominantly indigenous member of a guerrilla force. Uh, organized similarly uh, to military concepts and structure to uh, conduct military and paramilitary operations in enemy held hostile or denied territory. Guerrillas are they're neither militia uh, nor mercenary soldiers uh, whose allegiance is secured solely by payment, and they're not criminal gangs conducting illegal activities for profit. So a good example of guerrilla forces uh, that's well known is in Central and South America. Uh, the Shining Path in Central America and uh, several other organizations. Um, these are guerrilla forces. Uh, they're actually a small military. Um, they're working for um, a, a specific uh, political ideal and um, they're staffed by volunteers. They're largely unpaid. Uh, they take their payment either by uh, some small fundraising, uh, some backing from wealthy, um, donors, or by raiding, uh, and seizing local property. Um, so mercenary soldiers, uh, the most recent example of this would be the, uh, there's a, a group of, uh, mercenaries working in, um, in Syria and they're paid to work there. Um, And then criminal gangs are, uh, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to determine uh, a criminal gang. They're sometimes mislabeled as criminal gang when in fact they are uh, a form of militia. And vice versa, sometimes a stated form of militia is um, partially a criminal gang. So in Colombia and in Mexico right now, there's a lot of that. And there's uh, gangs of criminals that um, they're having. Uh, Mexico has a regular shootouts between gangs and Colombia also uh, over uh, disputed territory based on controlled territory. And the populace is caught up in that, um, is caught up in that, you know what amounts to a political struggle, and they're forced to to respond to it as though it's a regular open warfare. It's open hot warfare. So that's an example of uh, a modern example of each of those. Uh, the public component refers to, uh, that's an overt political, um, presentation of a resistance. And I got to take a quick pause here and I will be back in just a moment. Okay. I'm going to continue this. Um, so a public component is, a, an overt political manifestation or political, um, uh, appearance of a resistance, uh, public components are responsible for negotiations with the nation state governments or occupying power representatives on behalf of resistance movements, objectives. Uh, every case of resistance is unique. And then the degree to which the public uh, representatives exist varies. So a nation state decides to suppress public components completely. Um, if they do that, uh, the public components then have to dissolve and go underground, and the components not as not synonymous with a shadow government or or a government in exile. So. Like Zelensky, right now is a public component. Um, he's the uh, the former elected president. He's Ukrainian. Uh, the Ukraine mostly had a um, a Russian elected government. Most of the most of the government was uh, pro-Russian. So that was replaced by a pro-Ukrainian Zelensky government. So now, then, <clears throat> now the uh, Russians invaded the south east corner. And, um, Zelensky has been forced out of his role as president. He's still officially elected as president, but because the country is now in, in turmoil between, you know, who is going to control the country, uh, he is a public component that has, that's moving, um, underground. He's dissolved his government to a certain extent, and it's just him, you know, um, making executive decisions uh, and he's moved into an underground role Um, he's not a shadow government he's an elected government official and he's not a government in exile so he refused to leave he they was requested that he leave the country and and uh, you know continue his presidency in exile but he uh, rejected that and has stayed in the country so uh, this happened in Afghanistan also, and uh, um, so recently uh, the U.S. left Afghanistan and the elected government, um, all three of the top officials in the elected government, uh, all left Afghanistan and they're now living in exile. Uh, several of them are here in the United States and Florida, and uh, some of them are in the, some of the Gulf states. So, this is, uh, they would be considered public components um, in, as a government in exile. Uh, shadow government is uh, governmental elements and activities that are performed by an irregular organization that replaces um, the governance functions of the existing regime. So, examples of that would include uh, like health services, security, and taxation. Uh, members of a shadow government organized from any element of the irregular organization like underground auxiliary or guerrilla force and a shadow government, shadow government operates, uh, in a denied area of an occupied territory. So, uh, for example, in Nazi Germany, uh, a person might've been in, um, uh, might've been in a security area, and they were making identification, Nazi identification, uh, for civilians and, uh, military. Uh, they're working for the Nazis. Uh, they have, uh, they may even be in the Nazis themselves. And they are also providing, um, themselves and a small group of people that they have gathered together. They're providing uh, um, identification, uh, you know, photos and ID cards and identity documents and so on, uh, as a, as a official production of unofficial documents that would then be used to ferry. Um, civilians out of the country, say Jewish, we'll say, we'll say Jewish uh, scientists and um, political figures uh, out of occupied Europe. So this is a an example of um, a government working. It has an official f- face to it, but behind the scenes, some sections of that government are they have a shadow government working the opposite direction. Uh, government in exile this is a government displaced from its country of origin and it but still remains recognized as a, the legitimate sovereign uh, government and authority of the nation. and uh, government in exile normally takes up sanctuary in a nearby or allied friendly nation state and, uh, and works to try to recover its position inside the country. I'm gonna take a break here again and uh, I'm gonna conclude this it's at about 40 minutes it's a little bit short but um, I'll pick up on the next section and uh, continue with the rest of this